So as you uh, perhaps noticed with that reading, we're taking a break from our series in the book of Genesis. We've been going through Genesis this year as a church, but we're taking a break in the month of August and beginning a new series this morning on community, which we're calling kind of the, the DNA of discipleship. Our mission as a church, as you heard me mention earlier, is to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God. And there's a lot more we could say about that. But kind of a basic minimum we could say about what a disciple is, is a disciple is a human, right? We're talking about ministering to human beings as a church. And anyone who's spent time thinking a lot about human beings, what human beings are, how they live, has generally agreed that a human being is a social being. So from evolutionary biologists to ancient philosophers to Christian theologians, they agree. Humans are irreducibly social beings, which means who you are is formed in community. You become the kind of person you become in part because of the community that you are a part of. And then also, no matter how much you try to live like an individual, you can't escape the fact that you are a part of a community. You live as a part of a human society, and within that, other communities underneath it. So, if we want to not only make disciples, but make disciples of Jesus, we have to engage with community. It's the DNA, right, of discipleship. It's the thing that codes what we become, and it's the thing that we never live without. We must do so in community, right, if we're going to make disciples. And so, in this series, we're talking about kind of the two main communities the Bible seems to point to in which disciples are made. Uh, you know, I realize once I start writing all this stuff that there's actually a lot more the Bible says, but that's, that's the limitation of we're going to do a four-week series on this, and we're kind of going to scratch the surface. So the main two communities we're going to focus on are the family, the home, some of you, and the church. We're going to spend one week on the family and then three weeks on the church. And I know some of you are like, well, why not two and two? Like, that, that seems fair. And I don't have a great answer, actually. But when I started preparing this series, I thought there's three really important things we have to say about the church. And then I started writing on parenting this week, and I realized there's a thousand important things I have to say about this. But so, such is life. And so, anyway, in Deuteronomy 6, where we're at today, I do think we're going to be looking at the most important thing that God says to parents. And it's this. The family is the first community of discipleship. Now, I told parents last week that I was going to do this, so I'm going to say it. A little disclaimer, right? I'm going to be speaking a lot to parents in the room today, knowing that many of you are not parents. And yet, this message is for you, so don't tune it out. I'm going to give you six reasons why, and I wrote these down, so I'm just going to read them off to you. First, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, and this is scripture. Two, uh, second, the, the passage itself is addressed to all of God's people, right? So if you look In verse 4 there, hear, O Israel, not just hear, O parents. Third, uh, you may be parents one day. Fourth, you had parents who shaped you, and understanding how they shaped you can be a helpful thing in being conformed to the image of Christ. Fifth, the parents in this church are your brothers and sisters if you are a part of this church, and they need your help. They need your support if they are going to parent in the ways we're going to talk about today. And then sixth, uh, we'll get into this more next week. But the church in the Bible is described as the family of God. And therefore, the children of this church, if you are a part of this church, are to a lesser extent your children as well. And you have a role to play in discipling them in the ways we're going to talk about today. Okay? So the family is the first community of discipleship. The message is for all of us. And here's how the family forms disciples. By who is loved, by who rules the rulers, and by what is taught. Okay? First, by who is loved. So the central command of this passage, and you could say really the central command of the whole Bible, is to love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, soul, and strength. But it's not the first command of this passage. The first command of this passage in verse 4 is not a commandment to do. It's a commandment to hear. Hear, O Israel. The first responsibility you have, not only as a parent, but just as a human, is not to do something, but to hear something. And that's tough, because we live in a world that presents you constantly with like a thousand things that you could be doing, and as a result, this is maybe especially true for Christians, we feel like there's a thousand things I ought to be doing at any given moment, such that to just take time and not be getting something done, but to simply hear the word of God, can get shoved into the background of your life or disappear entirely in the name of other good things that you feel a pressure to be doing. Again, especially if you're a parent. Because that same world is giving you a thousand things to do if you're going to be as good as that super mom on Instagram that you follow, right? This graphic made its way around social media a little while ago, and maybe you saw it, but it's kind of just too good not to share. Um, So, how to be a parent in 2017, right? Uh, Make sure your children's academic, emotional, psychological, mental, spiritual, physical, nutritional, and social needs are met while being careful not to overstimulate, understimulate, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it's a massive list, right? The expectations that are put on parents today, and don't forget the coconut oil, right? So th- this is the, the law that's being given to parents today, and the expectation that you feel that you need to be doing if you are a parent, and if you're going to be a super parent. Some of my hope today is just to take that off of you, because that big list there, and here's what you got to understand. There's uh, companies behind that list that market products that will help you solve that stuff that are telling you you need all these things if you're to be even just a decent parent. There's no Bible verses in that first list, right? That's not God's word to you as a parent that you have to be doing all these things. God's word to you is a little longer than that second list. You know, feed, feed them sometimes. But it's actually not much longer, okay? God's commandments are not burdensome. Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. And the first commandment he gives you is simply to hear. And and don't over-spiritualize that, okay? He's not saying, find the secret to hearing God's voice. This is originally spoken by Moses to a bunch of people, and he's saying, hear, like, just listen to the words I'm about to say out loud. It's part of the reason someone gets up here every Sunday and preaches from this book. Uh, We don't believe that I or anyone else here has the same kind of authority that Moses had, which is why when he spoke, his words got written down in the Bible, and why every Sunday we take time to read those words out loud, even on Sundays when it takes longer than it did today. And we take time to preach from it into your life so that you would hear the word. It's one of the big reasons we have a kids' ministry, right? I mentioned earlier we're looking for volunteers for that. Uh, One of the big reasons we have that is not only that the kids might hear the word of God, but so that you parents so that the parents of our church could have a space where they can be present and simply hear the word without having to also at the same time corral their kids and stop them from going crazy. This is a simple first step, not only in being a parent, but just in living the Christian life. If you want to be a a, a godly parent to your kids, a simple first step, prioritize being at this gathering. Prioritize hearing the word of God. Don't get so busy doing good things even for your kids that you can't do the first responsibility you have, the most basic things, of simply hearing the word of God. 
And I know you're thinking, well, I'm already here, right? I got that part. Great, you know? You're off to a great start if you're parents, if you're already here. So God says here, and what is it he wants them to hear? Again, the first thing he wants you to hear is not a command. It's a true statement about who God is. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's saying there is one God, which means there is one being in whom all perfections originate and exist. There is one being who is ultimately worthy of your love, of your deepest, most fundamental love. Anything good that exists, anything lovable, anything praiseworthy, was his idea first, came into existence by his power, and is sustained today by his providence. In back of everything, there is nothing else. When there was nothing else, there was him. When everything fades, there will be him. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you belong to his people, it's saying this is your God. The Lord your God is the one who is ultimately lovable, who is lovely. And if that's true, then the command makes perfect sense. Because what's the command? Love him. Love the one who's ultimately lovable. Now the problem is, There's imposters, there's things that present themselves as ultimately lovable that aren't actually, that are simply creations of his that are meant to point back to him. And so parents are prone to say, yes, I know God is important, I I want my kids to be spiritual, I want them to get morality, but what they end up doing is they just tack God onto that laundry list that we had up there earlier, so that now not only can you be a super parent, but you can be a Christian super parent. That's not what this is saying. It's not saying take all the things you really love and siphon off a little bit of that love for God because that's the least you could do, right, if you want to raise healthy kids. It's saying love him with all your heart, the, the control center of your being, saying love him with all your soul, all of who you are. And then it says love him with all your might or with all your strength. And really another more wooden way of translating that is love him with all your everything. As if, you know, if you thought there were any exceptions, Take that part of you and love him with that as well. There was an old theologian who defined love well when he defined it as that disposition or affection whereby one is dear to another. Is he dear to you? Saying, let the ultimately endearable one be dear to you. Let admire the ultimately admirable. Love the one who is lovely. Hear over and over again that he is lovely. Hear over and over again why he is lovely. And then just love him. Just love him. Forget parents for a moment. If you're here today and you're human, this is your first responsibility. And it is not meant to be burdensome. Sin makes it burdensome. But loving the one who's lovable is what you were created to do. Like when my wife shows herself again to be lovable and it evokes love, affection, loving affection out of me, I don't think, man, I hate being in this relationship. It's awesome, right? Because it's what we were created to do. But But there's one more lovely than her, the one who made her, the one who made her lovely. Love him. Now, parents, this is how you begin discipling your kids. See, God has so set us up for community, God has so wired this thing, that what you love will shape what your kids love. I I was preparing for the series, and I was looking up definitions of community. And of course, the Merriam-Webster definition is just like dreadfully boring. It's um, a unified body of individuals. Thanks. Uh, 
Augustine, of course, is better, right? Uh, Fourth century Christian. This is his definition. The association of a multitude of rational beings united by a common agreement on the objects of their love. That's kind of highfalutin or whatever. But the point is, the thing that makes a community is the unification around a common object of love. What you love, that's what shapes a community. And if you don't believe me, just think about the house that you grew up in. So here's the catch with family. You don't get to pick it. You just get born in to a certain family. Uh, you know, he says common agreement on the objects of your love, but you don't really get to agree when it comes to family. That's why it's the first community of discipleship, right? It's the first place where you learn what is lovable. What is the thing I ought to love? Think about the family that you grew up in. What did your parents really love? Not just what did they tell you to love or what did they say they loved, but what are the things that really drove them? If you can identify those things, I'll bet you that those exercise a considerable influence on your life. I bet you that you feel pulled towards them. Even if you've kind of rejected them, right? You said, I'm not going to be that. They exercise some influence over you because you can't help it. It's the first community in which you were formed. It's the first community in which you were discipled. So that means, parents, you're already discipling your kids. You're already discipling them by what you love. If the Lord is dearer to you than self-protection, you're discipling your kids that God can be trusted, even in a world where bad things can happen. If the Lord is dearer to you than success, you're discipling your kids that they don't have to be better than that kid next to them in school for them to have worth and value. If the Lord is dearer to you than measuring up to the other parents you know, you're discipling your kids that they don't have to be controlled by what other people think of them. You're discipling them, not necessarily just by what you're teaching them, but by who you love, by what love characterizes your home. But there's no shortcut. There's no shortcut here. Some of you are like me. Um, You just want a technique that you can plug and play, right? And so okay, I don't want to be overprotective, right? I want my kids to grow up trusting God and not being afraid of the world. So at what age can I let them go on the stairs by themselves? And when can I let them cross the street without holding my hand? And are sleepovers okay? Are they ever ever okay? At what age, you know, is that okay? At what age is that weird and just not socially acceptable? You know, you, you want answers to every question, right? And you think, you know, it drives you crazy because you think that if I just answer all these questions right, then I can perfectly disciple my kids, and they'll grow up to love God because I'm so loving him by answering all these questions, Riley. But the thing that you're leaving untouched is actually the more significant influence, yourself. You're trying to skip actually loving God by just finding out what someone who loves God might do with their kids and then doing those things. You can't skip it. There's no shortcut. But there is an incredible blessed simplicity to just loving God yourself. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to make perfect decisions. The Bible doesn't tell you at what age your kids can be on the stairs by themselves or whether sleepovers are okay or whatever. It just says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and just make a decision. If you do that, you're already a long way to making disciples of your kids for the glory of God, simply by who you love, okay? But who you love will determine what rules you. So let's talk about that next. Second way that the family is the first community of discipleship is by who rules the rulers. So the next command in the passage is in verse 6. It says, And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. And I alluded to this earlier, but the heart in the Bible is not um, the organ, right? They didn't think of a human being that way back then. It's not just the emotions. 
it's the control center of your being. It's, it's the motivational structure. Uh, probably the best way I've heard it explained is unsurprisingly by Tim Keller, his pastor in New York. He says, uh, what the heart wants, the mind finds reasonable, the emotions find desirable, and the will finds doable. Everything else flows from the heart, your, your thoughts, your emotions, your behavior. So for God's commands to be upon your heart then is that his words rule you. What my mind finds reasonable is determined by his word. What my emotions find desirable is determined by his word. What my will finds doable is determined by his word. Now, I, if you're a parent, you're a ruler of your home, okay? And you say, no, I, that sounds weird. I like to think of myself as a friend. I'm a non-directive parent. Okay, but you chose that, right? You still decided you were going to be a non-directive parent. Your kid didn't come out of the womb and say, I'll take non-directive parenting, please. You can't get around this fact that you're the authority, right? You're ultimately going to be the one who makes decisions. And that's even clearer the younger your kids are. They can scream all they want that they want their diaper changed or they want to eat. But you decide when the diaper gets changed and you decide when they get food, right? God has put you in that role in your home. It's a good thing. There's no democratic elections over who's going to be a parent in your house and who's going to ultimately rule. So what that means is, disciples will be made by what rules you. Because what rules you is showing your kids, this is the authority we ultimately submit to. This is the authority worth submitting to as a human being living in this world. So, for example, if you teach your kids to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, which is the fourth of the Ten Commandments that God gives uh, his people, and you tell them that's why we go to gathered worship on Sunday mornings with our church, But then you frequently travel, and when you travel, you skip worship gatherings. You may have good reasons in your mind why you're doing that, but your kids don't tend to catch those. Your kids see what's ruling you, right? And and whether that command is actually important enough to change you or whether it gets deprioritized in favor of other things. So the message they get is uh, gathered worship is important unless something more important comes up. So then what happens? They get to a certain age, and they get out of your house. 18 if you're doing it right. 35 or so if, if you've got issues, right? But at some point, at some point, they get out of your house. Sorry if your kids still live with you. And, okay. Um, at some point, they get out of your house. And now, they go out believing gathered worship is important unless something more important comes up. But guess what's more important to them now? Everything. Sleeping in later, getting some extra studying done, getting an extra shift in, talking to that girl that I'm interested in. And so then, you wonder why they don't not, not meaningfully connected to a church, you discipled them into it. You, you showed them what ruled the rulers, right, and what authority was worth submitting to. On the other hand, uh, my wife grew up in a family where her, neither of her parents were kind of paid to be in ministry or anything. They were just part of a church, but they planned their vacations around Sundays. And when they were on rare occasions gone over a Sunday, they found a church in the area where they were, and they gathered with God's people and worshiped. And so guess what? She's never complained about being married to a pastor and having to be back in town for Sunday worship gatherings. Because for her, it's just the expectation. That's, that's what you do on Sundays if you're a Christian. Man, let, let, me, let me talk to you for a second. When, you see, when your kids see you looking at their mom in a certain way, and they see that you don't look at any other woman that way, you're discipling those kids into sexual purity, into sexual wholeness. They see what word rules you. They see that God's command, you shall not commit adultery, is a good word and a word worth submitting to. Parents, when your kids see you being kind to a materially poor person, you're discipling them into kindness. You're showing them this word that it is more blessed to give than to receive is true. 
and we let it rule our hearts. When your kids see you spending time with someone who looks different from you, who's of a different culture, different ethnicity, and caring about the issues that are important to them, even when they don't directly impact you, you're discipling your kids into social and racial justice. I, I could make that a lot longer and give a lot more examples, but I think you get what I'm saying. What rules you shows your kids what is worth submitting to. And I know some of you maybe are thinking, well, that sounds like a long list again, like that one you put up there earlier. But all I'm saying is, be a Christian. Live the Christian life. If you just live the Christian life and you have kids and they're in your house, they're going to catch that, right? They're going to see that. You're already going a long way. You're doing the most important things you can do to disciple your kids. Okay, lastly, the family is the first community of discipleship by what is taught. So I know I've just been telling you the way you live, right? The way you live. That's what your kids are going to see. What you love, what you submit to, that's what's going to ultimately draw them. But don't, don't use that to say that teaching doesn't matter and what you tell your kids doesn't matter. Because here's the deal. Your voice is the first voice your kids are going to hear. Maybe the doctor, I don't know. My, my babies do really soon, and so I might find out. But, um, yeah, you're, you're basically the first voice they're going to hear. God has put you in their life. They're the first community of discipleship, right? So the way you speak to them and the things you tell them are true are going to shape the way they think about the world, the way they think about themselves, the way they think about God. And so the command goes on, the passage goes on. You shall teach them diligently to your children. There's a progression here, right? You hear the word. You love the one who is lovable. You let his word rule you, and then you teach it diligently to your children. But notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say you bring them to church so someone else can teach the word to them. I told you I love our kids' ministry. I'm thankful for it. But the mission statement of our kids' ministry is not just to teach the word to your kids because God hasn't ultimately given that job to our kids' ministry. He hasn't ultimately given that job to me. We're happy to come alongside you in that process. We want to come alongside you in that process. But if you're a parent, God has given you the responsibility to teach your kids the word. If he wanted me to teach your kids the word, if he wanted our kids ministers to teach the kids his word, he'd have put us in your house, right? But he didn't. He put you there. And so it's your responsibility to do it. Now you say, well, I barely know the word of God myself. How am I going to teach it to my kids? Okay, now's a good time to learn, right? You're, you're, you're here, right? You're hearing it now. Over the next year, uh, City Light Center City has a congregation. We're going to focus on theological formation, which means we want to be more intentional about, uh, as leaders of the church, equipping you, the average member, to know what you believe and why you believe it. So we're going to have some classes going on this year. Come to those. Learn. Learn the word so that you can teach it to your kids. Nobody's asking you to be a professional theologian. Again, if God wanted your kids to be parented by a professional theologian, he'd have given them one. It's, it's simple. It's take the things you're hearing and then teach them to your kids. Pass them on. And it says teach them diligently. And so the, the implication there is it's not haphazard. It's not just, well, I hope that happens. It happens when it happens. No, it's, there's a diligence and intentionality to it. Uh, having a plan or having a curriculum of some kind will really help you there. And we would love to help you with that. If, if you're like, I don't even know where I would start, talk to us. Put it on your Connect card. We'll send you some resources. And again, we're going to have some, some teaching on that kind of stuff coming up. Um, one of the most important first steps you can take, though, is just to schedule it. So this, this is a suggestion. Uh, at this point, we're in suggestion territory. This isn't coming straight from the Word of God that you have to schedule things. But, so if you find another way to diligently teach the Word to your kids, more power to you. But generally, parents find you've got to put it on the calendar if it's going to happen in an intentional way. 
And so Matt Chandler is the president of our church planting network, and his suggestion with this is not that you say, every Monday night at 7 o'clock it's going to happen. Because then you're going to find all the forces of the universe conspire against Monday night at 7 o'clock. And so he recommends that beginning of every week, mom and dad get together. Hey, here's what we got going on this week. When can we get a half hour to an hour this week to just sit down with our kids, read the word of God aloud, talk about it, and pray together? And then every week you just do that, right? It gives you intentional time to have that conversation. Now I know some of you are saying, man, another thing to schedule. I've already got so much on my plate. Yeah, it is another thing to schedule. But you're going to schedule what you value, right? Do you value this? Schedule it. But there's more to be said than that because look where the passage goes next. It says, You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Okay, and I'm going to take a poll. We never do this at City Light, right? There's no, everybody just sits there. And so we're trying to remedy that. So here we go. Um, How many of you sit in your house? Raise your hand. Awesome. (laughs) See? So you've got time to talk to your kids about the word. You don't have to schedule that, right? It says when you sit in your house, do it. One of the beauties of living in the city of Philadelphia is it's one of the few places in America where you actually still walk by the way what he says in this passage, right? You're walking everywhere with your kids. Talk to them while you walk with them. Do you go to bed at night? Do you wake up in the morning? Yeah. Then you have time for this. Then you can do this, right? You can talk to your kids about the word. There's a need for both of these kinds of teaching, the kind of scheduled, formal kind, and the informal, just by the way kind. And when you do the informal kind, what you're doing is you're helping your kids see how that kind of formal teaching connects to everyday life. And sometimes they'll just bring it to you and open the door for you. Because kids are curious generally, right? They're inquisitive. They want to know things at a certain age. Again, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but my son's still in utero, hopefully for another few hours at least. That'd be great for my schedule. But um, so far he hasn't asked me many questions. But uh, I have other kids in the church who I know. So I have one kid who I'm particularly close with, uh, good friends with his parents. He's about three years old. And he's in that stage of life where he's asking why about everything great opportunity, right? So one time I come home from the gym and he says, you know, did you go to the gym? Yeah. Why? I had to exercise. Why? Because I wanted to take care of my body. Why? Because our bodies are a gift from God. Why? To fill the earth with his image. Why? For God's glory. Why? Well, that's it. That's the ultimate. <laughs> that, that's, you, you've pushed it back as far as it can possibly go. That's, that, that's the explanation in back of everything. Now, uh, I'm not under any illusion that he even remembers that conversation. <laughs> but if you have conversations like that for 18 years, they add up, right? You, you're helping your kid be a Christian, right? Like, just, just grow in that and trust God to use that. You're discipling your kids um, when you do that. Other times, you might be presented with opportunities, but your kid's not even necessarily asking for them. So people call these, you know, teachable moments, Right? where you see an opportunity to bring instruction that your kid doesn't even know they need. And you just have to kind of drop everything and seize that opportunity. So I heard a father telling a story once about his daughter. Uh, She was stressing real bad one night, deciding what she was going to wear to school the next day. And a lot of parents in these moments talk to their kids instead of talking with their kids. And so it's, again, that's not really how you, you would normally talk to someone when you're just sitting in your house. But parents will say things like, it doesn't matter what you wear, just pick something. We gotta go to bed. Instead, this father chose to talk with his daughter. He said, hey, what's got you stressed? Well, if I wear this shirt tomorrow, this girl's going to make fun of me, but if I wear this shirt tomorrow, this boy's going to make fun of me. 
He says, yeah, that's tough. There's a verse in the Bible that uh, talks about this, actually. It says, um, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And what that's saying is when we, when we fear people, when we worry about what they think of us, we tend to get stuck, we tend to get trapped. And I know I feel that way when, when I'm fearing what people think of me. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I guess I do feel that way. Well, this passage is also saying that God is way bigger than either of these people that you're worried about right now, and he doesn't care what you wear tomorrow. So why don't you just pick something? Now, I understand as a parent that not every night is going to look like that. Some nights, the apex of godliness will just be getting them fed and in bed, right? And that's, that's legit. But don't get too busy with other things in life that these kinds of conversations can't happen, okay? You, you don't get a ton of time with these kids. I, I know I feel today like 18 years, that's a long time, right? But everybody who's actually been through the parenting process tells me you're going to blink and it'll be gone. And you're not going to get a do-over, And it feels almost trite to say it, but it's true, so I'm going to say it. You're not going to look back and say, man, I wish I spent more hours in the office. Man, I wish I was, my hobbies, I really should have given more time to them. My fantasy team would be so much better. My golf handicap is terrible now. You know, like, man, I I wish I had chiseled abs. I should have spent more time in the gym. That's not going to be the stuff you're thinking about. This is a primary calling in your life if you're a parent. You have to give time to it. And so we're kind of back to where we started. We're back to the heart of the matter. Who do you love? Is the Lord your God one, or is he one God among the other gods of your life, your, your hobbies, your fitness, your career? Do you so love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength that if loving him by teaching his word to your kids means you have to spend less time on those other things, you're happy to just let them go? You don't need them because you've got the one that you ultimately love. Is he so dear to you that his word rules your heart? Is he so dear to you that of course you'd schedule time to talk to your kids about him? Is he so dear to you that when you're walking by the way, when you're sitting in your house, when you go to bed and when you rise, his word is the thing that's on your lips? You're already scheduling what you value. There's already something ruling your heart. You're already discipling your kids. And that's the simplicity of it. It all flows from that. Love him. Love him. It's so much simpler than that huge list that we put up there earlier. And yet, in some ways, it's harder. Because here's what we have to admit. Some part of us, uh, if you've seen A Few Good Men, you know, Jack Nicholson, to use his words, uh, the part of us we don't talk about at parties wants that list. It needs that list. Because that list feeds a lie that we're all prone to believe. That if I just do it right, I can control my life and make it work without having to love God. And so this is the challenge we face. The most basic thing you can do as a parent, the most basic thing you can do as a human, is to love the one who is lovable, but something in us resists that and doesn't want it. So how can God ask us to do it? How can God come to you and say, hey, you want to be a parent? Love me with all your heart, soul, and strength. He can do it because this same God, the one God, in order to demonstrate his love for you, gave all of himself gave all of his being, loved you with all his heart, soul, and strength when he gave all of it on the cross. When you were not his child, he sacrificed his only child so that you could become his child. 
God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And the son so loved the father that he gave all of himself, that he offered what we should have offered, all of himself, heart, soul, and strength, ultimately dying in our place on the cross and rising from the dead so that his spirit could be poured out into our hearts so that the love of that father that is now yours could be poured out into your heart through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. And when that happens, it rewires you. It it pours into you a new love that actually can love the one who is truly lovable. It opens your eyes. He opens your eyes to see the glory of Jesus who is truly beautiful, who is truly worthy of your praise. That's the message that you need to hear and hear and hear and hear over and over and over again. And if that's the family that you belong to, if the God who is love is your father now, no matter how screwed up your family was, he, he starts to redisciple you. He starts to direct your heart to a new kind of love. And parents, that's your only hope for your kids. No matter how much you've messed up, there is hope for them. Because if this love is poured into their hearts, God will redisciple them out of all the ways that you messed up. And, and, even if you love him, even if his word rules you, even if you teach the word to your kids, and God doesn't do that in their hearts, they're not going to catch any of it. You are totally dependent on God to do this work in you and in your kids. So pray for them and ask God to do what only he can do and trust him to be doing that work in them that you can't do, that you could never do if you were left to yourself. Be a Christian, right? You do have an influence over your kid's life. But don't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength because you think by doing so I can control the future of my kids. Love him because he's lovable, because he's worthy of it, because it's what you were made to do, because it's your duty and your ultimate joy in life to love the one you were created for. Be a Christian, yes, but Christians aren't perfect. To be a Christian means to be dependent on God. It means that his word so rules you that when you violate it, you confess it. Let your kids see that. Let them see you confessing your sins to God. Let them see you confessing your sin to your spouse when you sin against them. Let them even see you confessing your sin to them and asking their forgiveness when you've sinned against them. It will happen. Parents, we're in way over our heads. We can't do it. You can't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. But Christ in you can do it. His Holy Spirit in you is more powerful than anything else. Hear his word, love him, let his word rule you, teach it to your kids.